United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. The talks are underway. They have begun. This is the intra-Afghan talks. This could be a watershed moment. There's a lot to be gained, maybe some to be lost. The question is, how well will they turn out? This is the first time this has ever happened where we have the warring parties in the Afghan conflict directly negotiating. Joining us now for perspective is Scott Warden, director of the United States Institute of Peace, Afghanistan and Central Asia programs, Twitter handle at USIP. Scott, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I guess the uh, the first question is, what's what's considered to be the chance for success here? Well, I think the chances for success are low in the short term, but they are much higher than they would be if these talks hadn't begun. The, the start of the talks is a big deal. It's a goal that the United States has been working toward, that the Afghans have wanted for about a decade. And so, as I say, you, you can't end a war without starting a peace process, and now it's begun. I wonder... People will say the investment the U.S. has made in terms of lives, in terms of money, is this the best way to get us out of this conflict? I think that a negotiated political settlement to the Afghan conflict is the best way to protect U.S. security interests, to respect the investment that's been made over the past two decades. Um, You know, the military has been at a stalemate in Afghanistan for years now, particularly the Afghan military, which is doing most of the fighting. The sides have recognized for a while, I believe, that there's no military solution to this conflict, at least not one that won't cost uh, enormously more in terms of troops and money. So that's usually when parties go to negotiation, when they're exhausted by the fighting and they see better returns, if you will, on their objectives from talking rather than fighting. And so I think we are at that point now. However, the Taliban have not ended violence. There is There are more attacks now by the Taliban against the Afghan military than there have ever been. And civilian casualties are still very high. And so one of the key issues and the things to watch in the talks are How does the issue of a ceasefire and a reduction in violence get raised? What is the price the Taliban want for uh, ending their violence, which is their main form of leverage? And how long does it take to reach that point? If they remain stalled on this issue, then talks may go nowhere. But it's certainly a key priority of the Afghans and of the U.S. to use these talks to reduce violence and get to a more uh, amicable political settlement. Scott, we know who the parties are at the table. Can you tell us anything about the actual individuals who are going to be at the table and what that signifies? Who represents the Taliban? Who represents the Afghan government? Uh, What kind of uh, characteristics and, and, and expectations do they bring to the table? That's a good question. Both teams, both negotiating teams, have over 20 members, and they are diverse in their own way. So on the Afghan government side, Of course, Afghanistan fairly recently completed another contentious election. There are deep political divisions, even though there is agreement that they don't want the Taliban. So there are government representatives who represent President Ashraf Ghani. There are representatives that are more in line with Abdullah Abdullah, who is the runner-up in the last two elections. There are representatives of the, let's say, old guard warlords, um, some of their sons. 
And there are also civil society representatives, and I would say probably not enough of them. And there are four women out of 21 on the Afghan negotiating team, which is also a concern because women's representation is a key issue in these talks. On the Taliban side, they also have over 20. And it's a mix of what you would maybe call the the Taliban diplomats, so uh, representatives who have been in Qatar, in Doha, for years, dealing with internationals and negotiating with the U.S., there are representatives of the more hardline military wing, and there are senior clerics, because, of course, the Taliban believes in a theocratic approach to government, and so they have senior religious figures on their side. The one thing I would say about the Taliban is that while it's diverse, they've been very unified and on message. And so I think that's a concern to look for in the talks is, does the Taliban's singular purpose of overthrowing the government have more strength than the more fragmented political interests of the Afghan side. Do they have any women negotiating with the Taliban team? Oh, no. Uh, the Taliban do not have so. women. I have heard that they are, they've been respectful of the women that are on the Afghan side, but, but that's a serious concern because the Taliban, you know, uh, they haven't shown any real evidence that their views have changed very much on women's rights, which they completely restricted during their time in power. Um, they say that they believe in all the rights that women have under Sharia. But, of course, their interpretation of Sharia, which is Islamic law, uh, is extremely narrow and out of line with a lot of other Muslim countries in the world. Once again, we are joined by Scott Worden, director of the United States Institute of Peace, Afghanistan and Central Asia programs. We're talking about the intra-Afghan peace talks. Meanwhile, Scott, it seems to me that not much has changed on the ground in Afghanistan. There are still attacks. There's still violence we are still seeing conflicts. Is there no sense of a ceasefire in the midst of all of these talks? Unfortunately, you're right. The violence continues at extremely high levels. There's no evidence of a ceasefire uh, right now. That will be the number one issue on the agenda, according to Afghan government officials. And it's certainly number one on the agenda for the vast majority of Afghans who are suffering greatly from this. I think the Taliban showed in the lead-up to talks that they are capable of reducing violence very quickly. There was a multi-day ceasefire over the Eid holiday, and that was used as uh, a test of, of commitment, basically, from the U.S. and the Afghan government that the Taliban were serious about talks. The problem is that once they demonstrated they could reduce violence, uh, as the dispute over a release of Afghan prisoners, Taliban prisoners from the government, as that dispute arose, then violence rose as well. So the Taliban have made it very clear that they are using violence as a negotiating tool, and they can turn it on and turn it off uh, as they like. So that becomes, I think, a point of contention where certainly the government, and I think it's a question for the U.S., will they uh, insist on Taliban reducing that violence, which they've demonstrated they can do, um, as talks progress. And the U.S. position in this is critical. Um, you know, what clear statements can the U.S. make about reduction in violence, and what can they tie that to in terms of support and our troop withdrawal? And, Scott, I wonder, the old expression has been used, the U.S. has the watches, we, as in the Taliban, have the time. And I wonder if the upcoming election might have an influence on the pace or the direction of talks, the anticipation of a possible change in the leadership, what does that have any kind of an influence on the talks that are underway? 
Yes, I think both the Taliban and the Afghan government are looking very closely at the U.S. uh, election cycle. And I would personally be very surprised if there are any major concessions by either side before the U.S. election in November. Um, The U.S. position with regard to our policy, our troops, our money uh, is, is the largest external influence in Afghanistan, and it matters greatly to both the government, but also the Taliban. The Taliban signed a deal to get U.S. troops to leave. Uh, That is their number one goal vis-a-vis the U.S. And so, you know, if there's a change of administration, each side will want to know, okay, what is the new administration signaling? What do they plan to do with regard to this agreement and the talks? Um, Obviously, if if Trump is reelected, there's a greater expectation of continuity. But still, uh, commitments on the level of troops and and assistance have gone up and down um, over the past year and a half. And certainly uh, the parties will want to know, okay, post-election, what is the U.S. going to do? And that's how I'm going to figure out what I will do. Scott, as always, I do appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Scott Warden, director of the United States Institute of Peace, Afghanistan and Central Asia programs, joining us to talk about the intra-Afghan peace talks as we now approach 20 years of the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. And it may be that it comes to an end, but these talks are underway. They've just started. So there is hope, perhaps, on the horizon. He is tweeting at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.